Human Nature and Conduct by John Dewey, Part 2 of 4, The Place of Impulse in Conduct, Section 1, Impulses and Change of Habits. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by William Jones. Section 1. Impulses and Change of Habits Habits as organized activities are secondary and acquired, not native and original. They are outgrowths of unlearned activities which are part of man's endowment at birth. The order of topics followed in our discussion here may accordingly be questioned. Why should what is derived and therefore in some sense artificial in conduct, be discussed before what is primitive, natural, and inevitable. Why didn't we not set out with an examination of those instinctive activities upon which the acquisition of habits is conditioned? The query is a natural one, yet attempts to fling forth a paradox. In conduct the acquired is the primitive impulses although first in time are never primary in fact they are secondary and dependent the seeming paradox in statement covers a familiar fact in the life of the individual instinctive activity comes first but an individual begins life as a baby and babies are dependent beings their activities could continue at most for only a few hours were it not for the presence and aid of adults with their formed habits. And babies owe to adults more than procreation, more than the continued food and protection which preserve life. They owe to adults the opportunity to express their native activities in ways that have meaning. Even if, by some miracle, original activity could continue without assistance from the organized skill and art of adults, it would not amount to anything. It would be mere sound and fury. In short, the meaning of native activities is not native. It is acquired. It depends upon interaction with a matured social medium. In the case of a tiger or eagle, anger may be identified with a serviceable life activity, with attack and defense. With a human being, it is as meaningless as a gust of wind on a mud puddle, apart from a direction given it by the presence of other persons, apart from the responses they make to it. It is a physical spasm, a blind, dispersive burst of wasteful energy. It gets quality, significance, when it becomes a smoldering sullenness, an annoying interruption, a peevish irritation, a murderous revenge, a blazing indignation. And although these phenomena, which have a meaning spring from original native reactions, to stimuli, yet they depend also upon the responsive behavior of others. They, and all similar human displays of anger, are not pure impulses. 
they are habits formed under the influence of association with others who have habits already and who show their habits in the treatment which converts a blind physical discharge into a significant anger after ignoring impulses for a long time in behalf of sensations modern psychology now tends to start out with an inventory and description of instinctive activities this is an undoubted improvement but when it tries to explain complicated events in personal and social life by direct reference to these native powers the explanation becomes hazy and forced it is like saying the flea and the elephant the lichen and the redwood the timid hare and the ravening wolf the plant with the most inconspicuous blossom and the plant with the most glaring color are alike products of natural selection there may be a sense in which the statement is true but till we know the specific environing conditions under which selection took place we really know nothing and so we need to know about the social conditions which have educated original activities into definite and significant dispositions before we can discuss the psychological element in society this is the true meaning of social psychology at some place on the globe at some time every kind of practice seems to have been tolerated or even praised how is the tremendous diversity of institutions including moral codes to be accounted for the native stock of instincts is practically the same everywhere exaggerate as much as we like the native differences of patagonians and greeks sioux indians and hindus bushmen and chinese the original differences will bear no comparison to the amount of difference found in custom and culture since such a diversity cannot be attributed to an original identity the development of native impulse must be stated in terms of acquired habits not the growth of customs in terms of instincts the wholesale human sacrifices of peru and their tenderness of saint francis the cruelties of pirates and the philanthropies of howard the practice of sati and the cult of the virgin the war and peace dances of the comanches and the parliamentary institutions of the british the communism of the south sea islander and the proprietary thrift of the yankee the magic of the medicine man and the experiments of the chemist in his laboratory the non-resistance of chinese and the aggressive militarism of an imperial prussia monarchy by divine right and government by the people the countless diversity of habits suggested by such a random list springs from practically the same capital stock of native instincts it would be pleasant if we could pick and choose those institutions which we like and impute them to human nature and the rest to some devil or those we like to our own kind of human nature and those we dislike to the nature of despised foreigners on the ground they are not really native at all 
it would appear to be simpler if we could point to certain customs, saying that they are the unalloyed products of certain instincts, while those other social arrangements are to be attributed wholly to other impulses. But such methods are not feasible. The same original fears, angers, loves, and hates are hopelessly entangled in the most opposite institutions. The thing we need to know is how a native stock has been modified by interaction with different environments. Yet it goes without saying that original, unlearned activity has its distinctive place, and that an important one in conduct. Impulses are the pivots upon which the reorganization of activities turn. They are agencies of deviation, for giving new directions to old habits and changing their quality. Consequently, whenever we are concerned with understanding social transition and flux, or with projects for reform, personal or collective, our study must go to analysis of native tendencies. Interest in progress and reform is, indeed, the reason for the present great development of scientific interest in primitive human nature. If we inquire why men were so long blind to the existence of powerful and varied instincts in human beings, the answer seems to be found in the lack of a conception of orderly progress. It is fast becoming incredible that psychologists disputed as to whether they should choose between innate ideas and an empty, passive, wax-like mind. For it seems as if a glance at a child would have revealed that the truth lay in neither doctrine, so obvious is the surging of specific native activities. But this obtuseness to facts was evidence of lack of interest in what could be done with impulses due, in turn, to lack of interest in modifying existing institutions. It is no accident that men become interested in the psychology of savages and babies when they become interested in doing away with old institutions. A combination of traditional individualism with the recent interest in progress explains why the discovery of the scope and force of instincts has led many psychologists to think of them as the fountainhead of all conduct, as occupying a place before instead of after that of habits. The orthodox tradition in psychology is built upon isolation of individuals from their surroundings. The soul or mind or consciousness was thought of as self-contained and self-enclosed. Now, in the career of an individual, if it is regarded as complete in itself, instincts clearly come before habits. Generalize this individualistic view, and we have an assumption that all customs, all significant episodes in the life of individuals, can be carried directly back to the operation of instincts. But, as we have already noted, if an individual be isolated in this fashion, along with the fact of primacy of instinct, we find also the fact of death. The inchoate and scattered impulses of an infant 
do not coordinate into serviceable powers except through social dependencies and companionships. His impulses are merely starting points for assimilation of the knowledge and skill of the more matured beings upon whom he depends. They are tentacles set out to gather that nutrition from customs which will in time render the infant capable of independent action. They are agencies for transfer of existing social power into personal ability. They are means of reconstructive growth. Abandon an impossible individualistic psychology and we arrive at the fact that native activities are organs of reorganization and readjustment. The hen precedes the egg. Nevertheless, this particular egg may be so treated as to modify the future type of hen. End of section one.